Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Kevin McDonald here and welcome to everybody listening in and watching. Got something really special on this week's episode. So I've been joined by Carol Niels, who's an expert in social housing. Now we're gonna be going deep dive into Carol's mind on all things social housing, the benefits of social housing, what social housing is, and how you could make a lot of money helping people with an ethical strategy where everybody wins. Also, stay tuned till the end because we will be revealing a secret tip that can help you get started on your social housing journey. So let's get straight into it. Hi, Carol. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me here today. By the way, before we do get going, for anyone who doesn't know Carol, I actually interviewed her around 12 months ago in this very studio. All about her journey in property, what she's done in property. If you would like to watch that as well and learn more about Carol, you can do that here now. But today is about social housing. So for anybody listening in, what is social housing? So social housing is providing support and accommodation to the more vulnerable people in society. Um, It is investing in projects and properties, charities and um, associations to allow them to provide accommodation and support for vulnerable people in society so that we can take them, let's just say they're a prison leaver, and we can then provide them with education and opportunities to bring them back into society. Because one of the things I don't suppose many people know is that if you go and look at social housing from an 18 to 24 year old perspective, we're bringing those people on into life so they can come into society, but you'll probably find 10 years later that those people are in the prison service and we have to then rehabilitate them again. So we have to try and work it so that those that we're giving support to, we're not just giving a house to, but we're able to educate them to make them useful members of society again. Okay, so um, I've got a lot of questions out of that. First one is, what type of properties do these people stay in? Because is it just like a normal terrorist house? Yeah, so um, we have, for example, we have almost 30 properties in South Yorkshire and they are all regular terraced houses. They all accommodate four people, all of the same gender. And most of those are just regular people needing a home. They've become homeless because they've lost their job, their marriage has broken down, um, and then they've ended up on the spiral to nowhere. So they're just being helped by a housing association or a charity, and they're being given education and support to get them back so that they can go and be self-sufficient again. So when they move into that property, say four people, is it typically four people or could it be any amount? Or So it can be any amount, but um, there, for example, in that area, I happen to have around 30 properties that are all four-bedroomed houses. Right. Yeah. So it's one person per bedroom. Absolutely. And the support they get, is that support, live-in support or is that... No. So st- in those cases, because it's not high needs, it would be a support worker coming to see them three hours a week and helping them with budgeting, with looking after themselves, um, getting a job, finding a place to live, 
um, making sure that they're just capable of supporting themselves once they've left that house. So generally we keep people in the houses for 12 to 24 months right? and then we try to move them on to their next property which might be a halfway house and then after that onto their own right. accommodation. So for, for a lot of people, and I've looked at social housing and heard about social people housing but I also meet a lot of people who talk about social housing and one of the things they worry about is like well you know it seems hard work and I have to help people, you've mentioned we a lot there, where we've got to help people with their needs and we've got to help people with the re-education and getting them into society and I feel like I'm a property investor but not a social worker so I guess what's your role in that? Are you, when you say the we, are you involved in the day-to-day -day meeting these people and helping them or is it just providing the house? Or how, what's the makeup so of I'm that? So I'm slightly different to probably the majority of investors who want to work in this space in as much as because of personal things that have happened to me over my life, I have more of a lean towards this sector. And so I think if we looked at our mastermind team, um, we've got lots of nurses and doctors and health workers, and those people have a big leaning towards wanting to support other people. Yeah. And so we can work with them to do this. So they have the skill set to work more closely with the commissioners at the council to work with charities, to work with housing associations. So I choose to work with um, the commissioners in the council to find out what their needs are, where they have a big need. So at the moment, for example, in Bolton, we have a massive need to provide accommodation for people 18 to 24 year olds. So I have just married up um, a building that was available in Bolton that was empty that belonged to one of my other housing providers and they weren't able to utilize it and it's now being taken over by the other company who has 18 to 24 year olds. Um, so we all have a specific lean. So I deal with regular homeless people, 18 to 24 year olds, and people with um, mental health issues mm. and substance and addiction abuse. Right. So those are the kind of categories that I work in. And no, I don't have to do the stuff on a day-to-day -day basis. But I am actively involved in working with my um, charities and housing associations because I want to understand what they're doing. I want to understand how they're providing the support. I want to know that what I'm saying to you to invest in, it will be carried through. It right. is sustainable and it's got longevity. Right. So I you don't, don't yeah. have to be involved in that. So for Not instance, as an investor who has a choice between um, I've got this three bedroom or four bedroom house I want to let it out. Yeah. I could give it to the local estate agent, let it out to work in person. I could get a non-working person on universal credit, for instance, or I could give it to a, a charity, a housing yeah. association, um, um, or social housing. Now, so housing association is very different to social housing, yes? It is, yeah. And I so. would think that as a regular private investor, um, it takes a lot of time and effort to become involved in this sector. You can't just up and do it. So I would say that if you were to look for somebody like me who could mm. facilitate the process for you, then it would be more passive mm. and it, you would be able to um, do good but invest at the same time. Right. Because most people don't want to get as involved as I am. It's right. just not their thing. Oh. They've got money, they want to do good, yeah. but they just want it to work for them. What, what's the difference between like uh, supported living, social housing um, and typical um, 
housing that the council, like universal credit type housing? What's the... Okay, so um, the people on universal credit would come directly from the council and they would have what they call, an, they'd have an AST and you and or your management company yep. would then be responsible for the right. day to day look, looking after that house. So for anybody watching this AST, a short, short haul tenancy, just a standard tenant, but just one that's either not working or part time working and they move in as a normal tenant on an assured short haul tenancy. Yep. That's a universal credit. And they would be given a certain amount of money by the government, yep. which is obviously taxpayers money and they would allocate that towards their rent allowance. But they're self-sufficient to look after themselves. Yeah, and, and then they pay a top-up every mm. month towards the bills. Right, so they might be in a job, but only working 20 hours a week yeah. or something. Um, they might be not in a job, but, you know, single mom, but they, they're not in, they're not out of prison, they're not in no. alcoholic, they're not got any, like, broken home sort of situation. They're self-sufficient, they can yeah. handle their own stuff. Yeah. And then supported living, so then social housing. Supported living, we have the, the different aspects. So, just regular social housing, we would have a house or a block of flats or um, a self made unit, and you would have people living in there that were generally homeless. And they would have a support worker who probably came to see them two to three hours a week. And then on the supported side, so that's the social, and then on the supported side, you would have more specific needs. Right. You would have people who maybe came to see you every day. Right. And they helped you with whatever right. the situation is that you're currently in. Okay, so there's loads of niches, but the one you focus on is the social housing, which is sort of three hours a week. Um, yeah, so the, all the properties in Yorkshire are all social housing. Um, but then by the same token, I've just bought a property in Huddersfield and that is specifically for one of my clients who supports people with substance and alcohol abuse. Right. So then as an investor who's listening to this and thinking, uh, I'd like to get into the sector, I like the idea of um, helping people, yeah. but ooh, the risks, I mean, I've got, uh, will they, so the first thing that comes to my mind is always, um, what happens to that? Will there be more maintenance? Do they damage the house? And will the neighbours like it, not like it, etc.? So I guess people kind of focus on the what might go wrong. Absolutely. What's the big benefits of social housing from an investor point of view? Okay, so I would say that any tenant you have in a house, things can go wrong. But if you go down the model of providing accommodation for this type of clientele, what you have is, if you're working with the right people and you've done your due diligence, um, you will have companies that have been around for a long time. So my substance abuse cl client has been in business for 30 years and right. it was started by somebody who was incredibly successful, lost all their money and became a drug addict. Wow, okay. So they've been in business a long time. They <coughs> offer much longer um, tenancy agreements in the main, they deal with all the maintenance on the inside of the property. You obviously deal with the structural. Um, there are no voids, there are no management fees. And in the main, you don't have to visit the house at all in the entire time. And your agreement and your contract is such that the house will be given back to you with fair wear and tear as you've handed it over. Mm. But most of the time, I've never taken a house back. 
Right. And I do do random checks. Yeah. You know, just to. So, how often would you check a property from this? this if I'm honest, probably once a year. Right. If okay. I'm perfectly honest. Yeah. yeah. And then, do they typically look after them? Are they. Um, I would say that the house is no worse than a regular tenant. Right. Okay. But the benefit being that if there is any repairs, the social housing provider Absolutely. fixes it. Absolutely. So, if the door got broken or the kitchen got broken, they would repair it. Right. It, that's all part and parcel of, of what they cover. Right. Okay. Um, so w when you talk about the uh, social housing provider taking care of the maintenance, so fixing the doors, etc., um, typically how long do they lease the property off you for? So I typically do it for about five years. Right. And then we, um, and my leases typically would um, do a review every right. 12 months. Yeah. <clears throat> and I allow that review so that we can manage everybody's expectations. Um, they've got a repairing lease. So that's an RFI lease, a full repairing yeah. lease. And so, so that's internal, obviously not external. Yeah. And that's when I said I generally check about every 12 months. Yeah. So they would have that. I would check every 12 months. We have a clause in the contract every 12 months so that we can review the rents because if the government have increased the allowance, yeah. then we would look to negotiate a slightly higher rent right. to bring in for the investor. Um, and, that, and that's really kind of it. Um, if we are happy with the investor, if we're happy with the way the house is being run, we will then just write to everybody and say, right. this house will continue for four years hence. Okay. Now, one, one of the things that um, you also kind of think about, well, what these like long-term RFI leases and stuff, um, with the type of tenant that's in there. Many mortgage lenders say they want working tenants. How is there lenders out there that will lend on these type of properties? There are, absolutely. I mean, there are more limited lenders and you've got a smaller pool to take from, but there are definitely lenders right. out there. So let's just pretend um, that the rate at the moment is 5%. If you're doing this kind of a project, you might look to be paying seven. Right. So you'll pay a higher interest rate, yeah. but at the same time you're getting a higher rent. You get security, no voids, no maintenance. So ultimately you end up yeah. earning more money. So if you're, if you're paying, um, at the time of recording this, base rate's 5.25%, but okay. when you listen to it in the future, it might be 5%, it might be whatever. But for instance, 5% for a normal mortgage, because you can get a mortgage, even though the base rate's 525 you could get a mortgage for 5%. But mortgage 5%, um, a mortgage on this type of property would be typically a couple of percent more. Yeah. Whatever the mortgage rate is, you're paying a couple of percent more whenever you watch this in the future. So you're paying two percent more than a normal mortgage, roughly. Don't hold us that, depends on the lender. But in a typical mortgage with voids, maintenance and management, you're probably paying way more than two percent. You're probably three, four, five, six, seven plus percent for all of those additional costs. Absolutely. So yeah. overall, you'll end up with more money in your pocket. Yeah, you do end right. up with more money in your pocket because if there's nothing to pay for. Right. You know, if you're getting a thousand pound a month, that is what you get every single month, and that's guaranteed. You know, there's no tenant not paying. Yeah. Nothing. You always will get that money. Yes, you don't have rent arrears. Not um, at all. And you can plan and yeah. progress, and you can then buy something else because you know how much is coming in every year. Yeah. And and what's the need for for this social it's housing? Absolutely massive, especially now. I mean, the dilemma we have in this country, as everybody knows, is we've got so many empty homes available mm. that the government don't allow us to take. 
Um, we've got buildings that could easily be converted. And if we got a conglomerate of investors together, you know, they could easily convert these properties and provide accommodation for people. But we have to deal with the hand that we've got, and that's dealing with government and planning and those kind of things. But yeah, it's the safest and you can plan. You can absolutely 100% plan because you don't know if a tenant's not going to pay, do you? Mm. Yeah. Whereas with this, you always know that they're going to pay. Yeah, so I guess as well, like in times like um, if a tenant loses a job, yeah. they'll struggle to pay you. But this is basically government money. 100%. So, and, and you might be watching this and thinking, I'm a taxpayer. Well, yeah, but um, th these properties are going to be let to people anyway. This is the system, this is where your taxes quite often go. And if you are a taxpayer, maybe you want to get back some of the taxes you're paying and you could pay your tax here and get it back through renting a house out and maybe get some of that money you're giving the government back off the government. If you like that idea, by the way, let me know in the comments, put a comment in there about getting the money back. Because whether you choose to do this or not, you could go, oh, it's taxpayers' money. It's happening anyway. You can moan about the system or you can play them at their own game and help people at the same time. So you're doing something ethical, you're helping people get back into society, you're helping people get off drugs, helping people have a roof over their heads. And like you talked about and the taxpayers' money. So for example, because there's nowhere for anybody to live, they put them in temporary accommodation. And regrettably, there are ruthless people that are charging a fortune for the temporary yeah. accommodation, and they put them in hotels. So that costs the taxpayer Even more. more and more and more. And if more investors were involved in this as an ethical way of yeah. making money, then we would be using less and less temporary accommodation. A monthly rent for a house is significantly less by a night-by-night -night rent in a hotel. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, massive opportunity. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there. What's the, the, the challenges? The challenges are that it's not an easy market to get into. Um, you have to know the right people to be able to work with. The challenges are that since 2020, it's become terribly trendy and you've got a lot of unethical people in the marketplace. So you have to make sure that you do your due diligence and you work with the right kind of people. Um, I would hope that those that want to get involved in it are doing it for the right reasons, and not to mm. do it for the wrong reasons. So, and, and the challenges are that it's harder to get a mortgage. Yeah. Can, can I, I'm just going back on that point because um, when you do this, you are buying a house either for yourself or an investor where you're sourcing a house for an investor yeah. and the investor owns the house. Yeah. And then you're putting a social housing tenant into that yeah. property. And when you said about it become a, a buzzword and a, a cool thing to do, there is a lot of people out there, and I've started to notice them, that will say, we've got this property off a landlord on a, for instance, a guaranteed rent contract you can pay us a sourcing fee for it or, a, or for a property we don't even own. Yeah. You won't own the property. Yeah. You'll just have a, maybe a five-year rent-to-rent on it, yeah. and then we'll give that contract to the next person. Now, rent-to-rent's a phenomenal strategy when you control it, but what you do is you buy the rent-to-rent contract off a sourcer who takes a fee, and then they give that contract to a social housing provider, and then the contract that they have with the landlord might be very different to the contract that you've got with the social housing provider. 
and so on, and there's a total lack of control. Um, what would you, because people will watch this and they'll go, oh, social housing, and then they'll see one of these ads pop up for, buy this deal, it's social housing, but I don't know, you're not actually buying the house, you're just renting it. Um, what, what's your thoughts on those types of schemes that are out there? So for me, I, I mean, I personally don't like them. I don't think they're ethical. I don't think the investor's got any security. And the reason I raised it, because I think it's a complete no, no, stay away personally, because there's a, first thing I always say is, well, why does that person who's selling you that opportunity, if it's so great on a rent to rent basis, I get why a packager would sell you a deal they own, but why would they sell you something they don't own so you could make lots of money on it? Well, maybe when that house comes back in the future and that full wear and tear and whatever, um, there's a lot of lack of control for the investor in that deal. So you... I wouldn't do it at all. I mean, you know, if I wanted to give you an example, I've seen them recently invest £16,000, get £558 a month back, um, and you do that for five years and you make 50% or whatever. But that can only work if you continue to get more and more investors topping it up all the time. Mm. It just doesn't seem ethical to me. I want an investor to know that if I were to disappear... Yeah, they own the house. Completely. So what I do is I will buy a house for an investor, I'll renovate it so that it's compliant, Mm. and then I will um, assign a five-year lease to that house for that investor and then we review it every 12 months but they they own it yeah so the investor is getting the buying the property at a, a good price yeah. so they're buying value they're getting the refurbishment uplift in value yeah. they're getting the higher than market rent with no hassle yeah and they're getting the capital growth yeah so they're winning in all corners and they own that house and it's theirs always because so could there be a social housing provider that um you think is a social housing provider, but they're a middle person and they go bust or something Absolutely, happens. Absolutely, uh, all the time. Um, I can give you another example. A, a, a place that I was born in, there was a deal for sale. They were selling the units £175,000 each. Um, the return over the time period, they were giving it a 25-year lease and they would, the investor would get £455,000 back ultimately. Well... I know that the properties were only worth 60,000. The investor could only buy with cash, so they would never be able to get a mortgage for 10, 15 years. Yeah. And that provider wasn't what we would call a registered provider. They were a, either a limited company or a social housing company. So the, the investor's got no security. Mm. That, and we've seen that in the marketplace at the moment. If you look at auction, there are so many properties going for sale that are being mm. sold by pension funds yeah. because the pension funds have signed up to deals that have no longevity. Yeah. And that's taxpayers' money. That's the investors' money. And they think it's okay to overpay for the property bricks and mortar because the rental income is so much yes. better and guaranteed. Yeah. But, and, and unless yeah. a company's been in business for as I said, 30 years or whatever, how can you guarantee in 25 years' time you're going to be able to still be getting that money? Mm. And how can a company agree to pay £1,760 a month for a one-bed flat in Lancashire when the going rate is 600 Yeah. and the LHA rate is probably 520 mm. 
So if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. There's a lot of money can be made in this, but you've got to do it in the right way, with the right profit margins, with the right security. Completely. Yeah. And just a point you mentioned there was LHA, so Local Housing Authority, LHA. So an LHA tenant is a local housing authority tenant. Um, you like your acronyms, don't you? Sorry. It's what you get used to, isn't it? <laughs> um, you just get used to using it. But, you know, I would say that when you're deciding to work with what we call a provider, that you make sure that you can do your due diligence on them. Mm. You can find out where they're from, how long they've been in business, who... Another example, there's a property near me <coughs> being sold that we want to buy. And it was sold to a pension fund for nearly £2 million there was a 20-year lease put in place and it's not sustainable mm. it's completely fallen apart and that's the sort of thing that happens when you don't have a secure tenant in place right and when you say 20-year lease and it all fell apart is that the 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 20-year lease was actually valueless because the people at least it couldn't pay yeah yeah and that's what happens because mm. they promise the long term yeah. because it all looks good and it's lots and lots of money but mm. what usually happens is we get to year three and four and their rates have not increased to the same level as the rent that they're paying right and so it starts to fall right. apart so the person that invested in that which is usually a pension fund yeah are no longer receiving their money right so, so the rental the rental rate is renewed every year against the uh, retail price index or whatever yeah. And it goes up. So you started off with your rent is 500 quid, but you're getting 600 off the LHA. Yeah. And then the rent goes to 550, but you're getting 610. Yeah. And the rent goes to 600, but you're getting 620. And the rent goes to 650, but you're getting 630. And the rent goes to 700, and you're getting 640. And now, whoa, yeah. and I'm only five years into the 20. So we've, we've had 8,886 <coughs> um, units come back onto the market. How many? 8,886. Come back on the market because of, of uh, being negative. overpriced. Yeah. Wow. The okay. rents that they agreed to pay were too high for them to sustain. So the housing associations go into liquidation. And that's why when you said before, if it sounds too good to be true, yeah. it is. Mm. But lots of people don't see beyond the shiny penny. Yeah. And we should be looking at <clears throat> the long term. Mm. How long can we do this for? It, it, does this fit my 20 year plan? So there's a lot of money to be made in this, but you've got to know what you're doing. You do. Make sure you're doing it correctly. Yeah. Um, can it work anywhere? Yeah, of course it can work anywhere because everybody needs a home. Yeah. And sadly, we live in a society today where more and more people are finding themselves homeless through no fault of their own. I mean, you see people today who've got jobs, like you said before. They've got children. They're both working, but they just can't meet mm. the mortgage rates and the utility bills and everything else. So they end up homeless right. because what we're finding is rents are going through the roof and lots of landlords are obviously taking advantage of that. Yeah. And you can't blame them in some ways because their mortgage has gone up. So they've got to stress test their income to their mortgage. Right. But and this, this is really just a, in terms of a property strategy, it's just a buy to let. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, or a buy, refurbish, rent and refinance to let yeah. where... Um, you're taking on a property, but when you do the buy to let, you're buying it, but you're just letting it to social housing provider. Yeah. Yeah. And the safest, best way to do this is buy to let. 
not um, or you could do a rent to let so long as you're the one finding it not paying some social housing provider who says we've secured this big block we'll sell yeah. you a unit yeah. because then you've got no control yeah and that's that's yeah. the dilemma and your your then your trust is then misplaced because yeah. if you were my investor and i sold that to you mm. and then you ended up with nothing in 18 months yeah. time that affects our long-term yeah. relationship so so to clarify that if, I, if i'm doing rent to rent and i take a property off a landlord and decide to give it to social housing i'm in control because i know exactly what i'm doing but if i have this person offering 26 apartments in a building where they want 26 investors to take one each off them where they found it from the investor the investor probably is not even aware what it's going to be used for they then take it offer a guaranteed rent then take a fee 26 times for the 26 apartments pass all the risk on to you um, because you were lazy didn't under with love didn't understand what rent to rent is didn't understand what social housing is didn't understand the contracts you just trusted the process you paid out this money for the shiny penny that's where it can go wrong yeah and i would say so when i'm looking for houses for example i would look typically for the terraced houses um and then i've obviously got clients who only want one bed apartments yeah so we put them in a block um but i typically look for places that are not in the middle of a row of terraces. I look for end of terraces. Okay. I think that's a good thing for people t to take in mind because you need to be mindful of who's going to live there and who already lives there. Yeah. Because you want to be an active part of the community. You want to show the community that what you're doing works and that it works for the betterment of the local community. Right. So I would never put them in the if I could if I could help it I wouldn't put them in the middle of a terrace. Got you. I put yeah. them in semis, or that's why I buy pubs. De de detached or yeah, blocks completely. of flats. Yeah. So yeah, okay. So like an old pub converted into flats, put them all, turn it all into yeah. social housing, right? Um, types of social housing. So um, we mentioned a little bit earlier about um, you know alcohol, etc. So you've got like council social housing. Is it just terrace? Could you do houses in multiple occupation? Yeah, so the ones I'm telling you about in Yorkshire, where we have the four, so what I do is I make them HMO compliant right. in the first instance, yeah. and then we accommodate the clients. So right. we have four people, um, one bathroom, hopefully two loos, a living room, and a kitchen. Right. And that's, that's a very simple and easy model. Yeah. When, when you do a house of multiple occupation, and you move, let's say, let's say I've got a 10 bed HMO. Yeah. Would they, could you do a 10 bed HMO? Associated? Yeah, I did a 10 bed HMO in Oldham. Okay, so is there any limit to the size? No. Not um, really. The, the more people you have, so if you go over 13, yeah. then you'd have to have a person living in. Right, okay. That's cool. So let's say I did a 12 bed, so I don't, uh, can you do 13? The 13th is where the person moves yeah. in. So if I did a 12 bed, and I don't need a person living in. Um, as a 12-bed HMO, with social housing, is there the same requirements from the council as with working people in a HMO? Do you need the emergency lighting, fire alarm systems? Do the government care about the safety of the social housing people as much? And what's the law do? And what's the ethical, what should you do? So and do you need a HMO license, etc.? 
Sadly, the same rules that are attributed to the private rented sector are not attributed to the housing associations or the councils. Wow. And that is a bone of contention with a lot of us. And I would say the majority of us <coughs> in this sphere, we adhere to the regulations. Mm. So I personally, and for investors, always make sure they have their HMO license. And the reason I do that is, as we all know, areas change into Article 4, licensing, whatever. Yeah. And if you don't have a license now, and you've been accommodating people for three years, and then they move out, you may not get a license in the future. Later yeah. yeah. So I make sure that all the properties have mm. an HMO license so and to fully compliant. So to future-proof the fact that I take on a property now, it's a seven bed, I could move seven people in on social housing, I don't need a license, but actually Article 4 gets introduced, which means I need planning and stuff in the next two years. The contract comes to an end with the social housing provider, they don't want the house anymore, and now I've got this big house, but because I didn't get the license three years ago, I now can't get a license. That's right. So you'd future-proof it. So that's Always. one from the business side, Yeah. but also there's just the ethical side of yeah, so we you want make to keep sure, people safe, right? Oh, I agree. And you yeah. have a duty of care to your clients, yeah. no matter where they come from yeah. or, uh, you know, or who's paying for mm. them. So we always do all the certification every year. We do the ECICR every five years. Um, and we obviously do fire mm. inspections every 12 months. Do you know what really pisses me off about this, to be honest? Can I say that on here? I've said it, it's too late. Is <laughs> the government and the media bash landlords all the time about rogue landlords and rogue whatever. And yet, the government for social housing have a policy of, well, they're not working people, so they don't need to be as safe as, the not, as working people. Working people need fire doors, and working people need fire closers on the fire doors, and working people need emergency lighting, and working people need to have a licensed HMO. But if you're social housing and you're not working, if you're just like, you know, somebody that's recovering from alcoholism, just put them in there, don't worry about a HMO license, they'll be fine. Interesting that. Love you, our government. I'll probably get cancelled for that, but let me know in the chat box, let me know in the comments what's your thoughts on that, by the way. So if you are watching this and doing this, don't just think about the legality of what you have to provide and the money. Think about the fact that you want to keep people safe and the ethical decision. I would so. say, though, that most of the people I work with, well, in fact, all the people I work with, to be fair, none of them will cut corners. Good. Yeah. They are all... 100% ethical and moral and they all make sure that the houses are totally safe and compliant for their clients. So right. they do have the client interest right. at best heart. So if somebody wants to reach out and in order to try and make their property social housing, if they've got properties right now or they want to convert properties into social housing, um, what, where was the starting point? What should they do? Um, so I would hope that they want to do it for the right reasons. I would hope they don't want to do it to just make loads of money, but I would say that they contact their local council to ask the council what their needs are, where their specific um, void areas are, and how they can possibly work with them. I would ask the council, which providers do you currently work with that you support? Because you can't just do it. You have to be given an allocation from the council, and your properties have to be signed off in a lot of cases by the commissioner. Um, I would then look for local charities that I'm interested in. And I would look, do I want to help this community and how do I want to help them? And what is it I'm interested in? And reach out to the local housing associations and charities 
in that area right. and ask them, how can I support you? Right. Um, you um, promised me something earlier. When I say you, Carol promised me something she did. She promised that she would share a secret tip with you around social housing. So I'm going to come to that in a moment. But before I do, um, over the next few weeks, I'm going to keep an eye out for this. Will you be sharing some more social housing information with me and my lovely audience? I will, yes. What sort of stuff? So I am going with the lovely Ronnie and we are... Ronnie is somebody you don't know. <laughs> Ronnie is camera shy. Ronnie stands behind the camera. Ronnie's over there. For everybody listening in again, can you give Ronnie some love in the chat? Because this wouldn't happen without Ronnie. She's the one organizing all these cameras that are shining on us right now. She's the one that makes sure this all happens. So say hi, Ronnie, in the chat box. Give us a few comments for Ronnie. Um, let Ronnie know what you think of the channel. Um, it's her hard work. It's just my voice and some of Carol's. But um, you and the lovely Ronnie are going to do what? So we are going to go and interview two of my clients. Um, one of them is a company called Healthier Heroes and they're based in Lancashire and they support veterans and there's a huge story behind that which we'll share when we've done the video. So if you like the idea of that, getting behind the scenes, speaking and having Carol speak and interview some of her clients, then you need to like, subscribe and hit the notification bell if you are watching this on YouTube. If you're listening on the podcast, make sure you've subscribed to the podcast so you can hear what happens. If you're listening on the podcast and you want to see it, you got to go to YouTube and like, subscribe and hit that notification bell on YouTube so you can watch what's happening. Um, or you'll miss out. The other person we're going to see is um, LifeShare and they're based in Manchester. They've been going for over 30 years. And I'm, what I would love, if there are any developers out there listening that are doing big developments or they know big developers based in Manchester, the last two years we were really lucky. We were given the welfare unit from Vinci, who are a massive company. And we've been able to use their welfare to do their Christmas party. So we um, look after people for seven days over Christmas. We feed them breakfast, lunch and dinner. We have doctors, nurses, um, hairdressers, everything in. We have a vet in to look at their pets and so on and so forth. Anyway, we don't have that this year because Vinci have finished their project. And if there is another construction company that can offer us that, I'd be thrilled. But we're going to see LifeShare and they have provided food, education, support, guidance. They don't provide accommodation, they find accommodation elsewhere for the homeless people in Manchester. And they lost their sight when another developer bought the building that they were been in for 30 years. And they've never been able to find another one since. So I'm kind of on a mission to try and work with investors to find a building that we can house them in so that they can continue to give the support to people. Is this to house them in long term or just over Christmas? Uh, this particular, so uh, we need a place for Christmas. Yeah, just for seven days? Yeah. So like when you say welfare, you mean like a construction site where they've got like their canteen yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So any construction businesses across Manchester, any projects in Manchester, and you want to open up or give access over Christmas for seven days to allow people to have somewhere where they can get some shelter, some food, have a hot dinner, be helped through the Christmas period for just seven days. Um, 
please reach out. How? Um, they can contact me on Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, any of those mediums, or you can just make a comment on this podcast and we'll get back to you. I used to work for a construction company. I won't mention the name online, but if anybody who used to work for that construction company that knows who I used to work for and works for them and you've got a site in Manchester right now, just reach out to me as well on social media. Let me know and I'll pass it on to Carol and maybe one of those sites we could get you some access to over Christmas. That'd be amazing. So let's together try and find somewhere for Christmas. If you want to do your good deed for 2023, Comment in the chat, post people, tag people in, whatever it may be. Anyone, everyone who you think might be able to help Carol find somewhere for this for Christmas. Let's make it our mission to make that happen. So go do that. Don't go yet. Go do that, but stay because I got more. So um, stay tuned for the coming weeks. You're going to see lots of other stuff on social housing. But secret tip. Let's finish on the secret tip. What is the secret tip? So by investing in this strategy you will do so much good in the community you will create such an amazing sense of well-being that you will open doors that you never thought were there you'll be given the opportunity to take over buildings you'll find investors that you didn't even know were interested in you because the philanthropic world likes the giving back give to receive totally and you're doing so much good for the local community that you're helping the local residents, you're helping the taxpayer, you're just helping everybody and it just creates such a feel-good feeling. You're making money and doors will open for you like you just wouldn't believe. I think that's an amazing way to finish this. So stay uh, connected, make sure you've liked, subscribed, hit that notification bell. Don't miss these future episodes that are coming up all about social housing let's make an impact in a positive way to this country to help people so you have been listening to a phenomenal interview right here on the podcast and youtube channels at progressive property i've been kevin mcdonald she's been carol Niels. you're going to see more of her and not me in the coming weeks i'll see you all soon good night for now <laughs>